Great Jehovah, you are the wonderful, mighty God who came into a flesh body of the seed of Abraham in the precious name of Jesus Christ, the incarnate God of your people Israel. And we thank you now for this beautiful time that we can open our Bibles and seek to understand, to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, bring revival to your people. Bring hope, encouragement, and we humbly thank you for the manifold blessings that you have brought to your covenant people, to the Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Gothic, Scandinavian, and all the European people here today that have roots that go back into the cradle of European history. Oh, merciful God, thank you now for sending your Holy Spirit to guide this lesson. And we will always remember to give you praise and glory and honor in Christ, save our Savior's name. Amen and amen. <clears throat> As you can tell by the little worksheet that's been passed around, We'll be looking at our Israel identity heritage with a question. Is it a novelty or worthy of a lifestyle with sacrifice? How important is this body? How important is it to everyone here? To be an Israelite. Is it a novelty? It is, is it a good idea? Interesting. But is it worthy of the sacrifice to be an Israelite? It requires sacrifice to walk the walk of an Israelite. Remember what Jesus said, Matthew 15, 24, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What a statement. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, my Father which gave them me, the sheep, is greater than all. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them my sheep out of my hand. In John 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Sheep. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said, speaking to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the kingdom comes, when the Son of Man shall sit upon his throne, that you also, twelve apostles, minus Judas, filled by Matthias, will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In Matthew 25, 31, Jesus said, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. He shall say to the sheep on His right hand, Sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. The sheep he will put on his right hand, 
the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In all of these New Testament citations, you can see that the ultimate destiny of history is the consummate kingdom of God with Christ ruling and reigning on a king, on a throne in a kingdom on this earth. And Israel will be the, the subject people of that kingdom. All the verses I just cited and many more that could be cited are from the New Testament. However, this congregation knows quite well that we could spend the rest of this lesson quoting verses from the Old Testament, demonstrating that the Bible was written to, for, and about a people called Israel. But just a couple of examples, Psalm 135, 4. For the Lord Jehovah hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. In Amos chapter number 3, verse 3, the prophet says, while addressing Israel, he says, you only, speaking of God Almighty to his people, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities, which may be the reason that we now have without question the most inept leader that's ever set in the White House in the history of our country. The Bible says in 2 Samuel 7:24, speaking of God, David said, Thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever and ever, and thou, Lord Jehovah, art become their God. Now we're all familiar with the fact, beloved, that the Bible, beginning with Genesis chapter number 12, verse 1, and Abraham, and the story of Abraham and Sarah, followed by Isaac and Rebekah, followed by Jacob and his company, and the 12 sons that were sired by Jacob, that became 12 tribes, that became 12 nations, small nations, that multiplied into tens of millions and millions and millions and millions of people that we know today as the Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Gothic, European, peoples of America and all the Western world, including Europe, Scandinavia, the British Isles, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, originally part of South Africa. All of these millions and millions of people that shined the light and lifted the earth that they occupied to the highest standard of living of any people on the planet that have ever lived on the planet. So we're familiar with the real truth of the Israel message. Now, what we need to remember, beloved, is that when God called Israel, He did not call them to live and dwell in a dark corner. He intended for their light to shine in a dark world. Remember what Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 6, speak, speaking to Israel, says. Deuteronomy chapter number 4, verse 6, the Word of God says, Keep therefore, speaking to Israel, keep therefore and do them, that is my commandments, for this is your wisdom, and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes, and say, 
Surely this is a wise and understanding people. God intended Israel to be a light to light the world. And that's what they have done. The very electricity that shines on us originated out of Israelite minds. Air conditioning and every other invention that you will possibly come up with is an Israelite invention. And we have taken the blessings that God has bequeathed to the people called Israel. And we have forgotten the God who gave us those blessings. Most Israelites living today do not even have a relationship with the God who created them. We are truly a lost people in our generation. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to Israel, he said, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. And I ask you today, beloved, does God that rules from the heaven, is it his intention for this little country congregation to be a light a city set on a hill, reflecting light to the rest of Vernon County and beyond the other counties around us, and maybe beyond this, the state of Missouri. How bright does God want our light to shine? And how bright is the light that is being radiated from every one of us every day that we wake up and live. Every day there is a workforce that rises up in the morning from this congregation. And those people are spread far and wide across Vernon County. Some of them out of the state of Missouri. Many of you have traveled far from here. Think of the light God has called us to shine in a dark world. The very word Israelite is a word that demonstrates prince, people, ruling by authority of God, not in just the good times, but God wants us to shine in the bad times. We will not always be up on the mountain. That beautiful gospel song. Up in the mountain, down in the valley, God is still God. Through tribulation, adversity, suffering, disappointment, God is still God. He never changes. Jesus Christ the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. So let's take our worksheet today, people. Let's really, really ask, ask ourselves the question. What does my Israel identity mean to me? Now, you should not shy away from the word identity. The word identity is being tossed around by the media today. They call it identity politics. We're only looking at the biblical perspective of the word identity, which identifies a people. It's simply a tribal identification of a specific people. That's all we're looking at in terms of the word identity. Now, the question that we're looking at in this worksheet is this. Is the Israel truth the fact that you're an Israelite, that you're the parent of little, small Israelite children. Is that a novelty? Something that is nice to know? Is it a historical fact that you're glad to know? Or is it worthy of the sacrifice necessary to be a good 
Israelite as per the Bible. Record. Because we are all under a test, if we call ourselves Israelites, to demonstrate that we are living our lives like God called Israel to live. Teach us to live is really the big question. And the Bible answers that question because the Bible was written to, for, and about a people called Israel. So if you'll join me in the worksheet, the purpose of this lesson, number one, to encourage believers to check their intellect and their heart. So I want you to think about the truth of Israel, it may be objective, that is, in your mind, because you've studied the Bible, you've read the history, you've studied the heraldry, the archaeology, and all the factual knowledge that proves and demonstrates the connection between what God said Israel would be doing and the history of the Anglo-Saxon Celtic Germanic Gothic peoples. So you know objectively that it's true. So to encourage believers to check their intellect and their heart and determine if your genetic Israel heritage is for you an objective truth. Now the word objective just simply means that you do believe it because you know it is historically, biblically factual. And you would be foolish not to believe it simply because the facts, undisputed facts, take you to that conclusion. But let's read on. That is biblically sound to your intellect in other words, your mind has become one in accord with the facts. The biblical racial narrative then of being an Israelite, is it subjective? Is this biblical racial narrative a subjective truth? Worthy of personal sacrifice because your objective truth has deep and personal heartfelt feelings. Now, folks, here's what we need to do. Ask yourselves, do I believe the Israel truth because it's reasonable to do so? And I would be very foolish to deny the reality of the facts. Now, that's objective acceptance. For that truth to be subjective it has to move from your mind into your heart where you are convicted and converted to act on what you know to be true. If there is no response, no action on your part to becoming aware of that you're an Israelite, then it's a novelty to you. It hasn't changed anything about you. You just live your life pretty much the way you always did. If you're a nominal Christian, you remain a nominal Christian. The knowledge of Israel has not radically transformed your life, but let's read on. Number two, the Bible is by most authorities reported to be a book containing 783,000 137 words with 1,189 chapters and some 40 authors. Now, these are facts. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament of the Bible, and all 40 of the Bible authors were genetic Israelites. Every writer of the Bible was a genetic Israelite. The book of Isaiah 
is sometimes called the Bible within the Bible because this classic book has 39 chapters that predict the coming of the Messiah. They're all old looking back, Old Testament verses looking, that look forward to the Messiah. And there are 27 chapters in Isaiah that's really zero in on John the Baptist and the arrival of Jesus. And they're filled with euphoric, evangelical uh, exhortation of joy that Jesus is coming. Not counting, well, the name Israel appears more than 2,500 times in the entire Bible. It is the most frequently repeated generic term collectively for a people to be found in the Bible. There's no other name in the Bible that is so completely generic to Israel. Appearing more than 2,500 times. Not counting the name of Jesus. Who would you suggest would be the most frequently named person in the Bible. We're going, to, we're going to leave Jesus alone because he's going to be number one. Would you claim Abraham? It's there several hundred times. What about, would you say Isaac? A frequently mentioned name. What about Jacob? It's one of the most popular sustaining names throughout history. And even to this very day, the name of Jacob has become one of the most often used names for new little boys in the Western world. More children have been named Jacob by white people in the last couple of hundred years than any other name in the Bible. But it's still not the most prominent name in the Bible of a mortal. So who is it? Who do you think it might be? Is it Isaiah? No. Is it Jeremiah? No. But all these names are repeated many, many times. The name is David. David is found more times than any other name in the Bible. The most repeated name in the Bible other than the name of Jesus. And there may be a reason for that. Because Jesus is called the greater David. And David, in spite of his horrific sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, is the only man in Scripture that's called a man after God's own heart. No other one ever was given that statement or greeting. Now Jesus, of course, is the greater David. The greater David and his kingdom is some kind, sometimes called the, the restoration of the Davidic monarchy. So let's go to number three, the truth about Israel and its connection to the Celtic, Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Scandinavia, Scandinavian and other peoples, has been proclaimed in America for more than 100 years. The identification of the white European population as being one with ancient Israel has been believed by selected people for hundreds of years, reaching at least back to and before, in fact, hundreds of years before the Protestant Reformation. The Israel truth was first popularized in the British Isles when a man, a book was revealed titled, a book titled Revealed Knowledge was published by Richard Brothers in 1794. So this obscure naval officer who had studied the Bible back and forth 
wrote a book called Revealed Knowledge. Richard Brothers, 1794. Now please know, congregation, that there are traces of confirming historical evidence that there has never been a generation of wise, studious scholars that have not connected the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Gothic, Germanic peoples to the ancient Israelites of the Bible. A well-worn historical tract. Now, in 1840, <clears throat> a much more well-known book titled Our Israelite Origins was written by John Wilson and published in the year 1840. I'm going to hold up a copy of this book. This is a rare book. It's well over 100 years old. John Wilson's Our Israelite Origins. He was a British-born writer, student of the Bible. And this became the most authoritative book on the Israel truth that probably has ever been written, at least in its day. Now, we are a privileged congregation because there is a lady in this congregation who laboriously typed out every word of this book. Every word. You, you know what a job that was. And then there's another lady that laboriously helped her proof it, which was a big job in and of itself. And our printing press that disappeared at four o'clock one morning printed the book I hold in my hand. Now, for the record, because those two ladies are here today, I'd like to thank them for the labor they invested in probably the most important book in the bookstore. John Wilson's book entitled, Our Israelite Origins, typed by Becky Burney, and she and her confident helper, Nancy, proofed the book. So John Wilson left his mark by simply writing that book. What a book it is. Now, we spent four Sabbath mornings in this book. At the time it was done, the lessons are recorded. They're titled, Our Israelite Identity. In 1874, a book titled, The British Nation Identified with Lost Israel, was published by Edward Hine. That's H-I-N-E. In 1879, another book was written by Dr. Joseph Wilde, who published a book called The Lost Ten Tribes. Another book in 1880, written by John Cox Gawler, was entitled Dan the Pioneer of Israel. Now, if I named all the books that were being written in this general time frame, we'd be here a long time, so I'm just giving you the names of some of the more well-known books. In 1889, a Methodist, William Henry Poole, that's P-O-O-L-E, authored a book titled The Saxon Race Proved to Be the Lost Tribes of Israel. So in 1902, and this book probably should be the book that I'm now referring to is a book written by Pastor J.H. Ellen, J.H. Ellen, A-L-L-E-N, a Methodist, who wrote and published a book 
that literally challenged hundreds, yea, thousands of preachers in this country. It's called Judah's Scepter and Joseph's Birthright. Now, this book, published in 1902, is one of the books we carry in the bookstore. It's one of the most authoritative books. It's written by a theologian who was a Baptist who came to the knowledge of the Israel truth and it literally exploded his mind because it gave him a new Bible and a fresh new look at the whole spectrum of biblical theology. Judas Scepter and Joseph's Birthright. Marvelous book. Published in 1902, so that makes this book now 122 years. Am I right on that? Now let's go to number four. There have been many well-known advocates of the Israel identity in America. How long would it take us to talk about all the people across the panorama of the last hundred years that have faithfully spoken the truth of the Israel identity message? There would be a long, long list, including one that we dare not forget, and that is Howard B. Rand, who lived from 1889 to 1991. He lived to be 102 years old. He's the author of probably 20 well-known books. One of the better well-known books is a book we carry called Digest of Divine Law. And what a marvelous book it is. Written by Howard Rand, Digest of Divine Law. Now he wrote many other books including another book that we carry called Primogenesis. Howard B. Rand was a very well-educated man. He lived on the East Coast, and he became the pioneer of many that followed that really taught the Israel message in a way that had never been taught before. Let me explain how that happened. If you'll notice at the middle of paragraph number four, Henry Ford Sr., that's not the Henry Ford of today at all. The original Henry Ford, the one that put America on wheels, he lived from 1863 to 1947. I remember him before he died. He employed a gentleman named William J. Cameron, editor of Henry Ford's personal publication called The Dearborn Independent. Now, The Dearborn Independent was a newspaper published by Henry Ford Sr. And William Cameron would take copious notes from Henry Ford and go and put them on paper and print them. As a result, over a period of time, many articles were written. They're now incorporated into a book called The International Jew, written by Henry Ford Sr. And Henry Ford Sr. is famous because he is the man who tried to popularize the entire country with the knowledge of the protocols. The protocols of the learned elders of Zion. And many of the people that received a new Ford Model T, later a Model A, would receive a copy of the protocols when they left with their new car, which cost about $600. Henry Ford put America on wheels. Elon Musk today at Tesla copied the genius of Henry Ford Sr. when he put his Tesla factory together. He went back and looked closely to see how Henry Ford did it.
because he outsmarted all of his competitors in his generation. Sadly, his children have denied everything their father once stood for. Now, Henry Ford, because he hired William Cameron, that is significant because Henry Ford had deep pockets. The deep pockets of Henry Ford Sr. helped spread the Israel truth in the 1920s and in the 1930s. And this is the way that happened. William Cameron, who worked closely with Henry Ford Sr. in his office, was just down the hall a couple of doors from Henry Ford's office. Cameron, not by random chance, but by divine, by divine arrangement, happened to become acquainted with Howard B. Rand, who we've already been talking about. In 1930, 1931, remember the Great Depression is underway. Howard Rand became a friend of William Cameron, and they decided to organize what is called the Anglo-Saxon Federation. And their goal was to plant an Anglo-Saxon Federation across every county in America to spread the Israel truth from coast to coast, from the Gulf to Canada, and beyond across the Western world. So they had big plans. Now, because they were well-funded through William Cameron's connection to Henry Ford Sr., they had some financial backing. So they formed federation chapters all over America, up and down the West Coast, East Coast, Middle America, Chap Federation chapters, I'm at the bottom of number four. Federation, that's Anglo-Saxon Federation, chapters quickly spread from the east to the west coast. 30,000 copies of their first publication in 1932-33 spread like wildfire across this country. Very quickly... Tens of thousands of people across this country. Remember, America's a white nation back then. Heard the good news, they were Israel. It was well received because America was a Bible-believing, church-going population. Now, the people were being receiving this information. The preachers were being challenged up and down the land. And they strongly resisted this teaching. There were many exceptions, praise God. But the message was not well received by the preachers. Generally well received by the Americans because at that point in time, they were untainted by the word racist, white supremacist, domestic terrorist, and all that nonsense. Thousands of people heard the Israel truth. I'm on page two. Number five, during the 20s, 30s, and 40s, the Israelite identity message gained thousands of followers all across the U.S. There were several flourishing churches that numbered many hundreds of people at each one in places like Detroit, Chicago, Minneapolis, L.A., Seattle, and across the United States. Even as late as the 1970s, there were still thousands of people who believed the captivating truth of Israel identity. Number six, giving this very condensed and brief history of the Israel message this question has to be answered. 
Why has this biblical truth lost so much ground in the past 50 years? The answer to this question is complex and not easy to answer. But we'll examine some of the possibilities. Now, I really need to encourage this congregation to take note of the title of the lesson. Israel identity. Is it worthy of sacrifice for a lifestyle? There has to be a reason why America was given the gift of this great and wonderful truth and it did not take root. Why did it not live on? Why are we not having flourishing, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Israelite congregations all up and down this land? Where are the churches that ought to be promoting the Israel truth? Where are the pulpits that ought to be advocating this wonderful biblical truth? Because if you believe the Bible in your heart and in your intellect, you cannot evade, deny, suppress, ignore the truth of who Israel is. It's going to haunt you in every page of the Bible. <clears throat> it's going to follow you to the end of the Bible. It will be there at the beginning of Genesis 12:1, and it will be found in every successful and succeeding chapter that you read. So how in the world have we lost this wonderful, biblical, historical truth that has been proven by archaeology, it's been proven by the symbolism, the heraldry, it's been validated and verified in every way that you can imagine. The very name Caucasian originates because our people passed from Central Asia across the Caucasus mountain, the, the word from which the word, the name from which Caucasian is derived. The Caucasus are 750 miles long, big mountain range, 150, 200 miles wide, and one of the main passes through that mountain range is called the Pass of Israel, where our ancestors crossed the Caucasus. Now, some went around the Caucasus to the east, around the Caspian Sea. Others passed down into Asia Minor and on the south side of the Black Sea. But by the hundreds and thousands, they arrived into Europe at a point in time. So we'll go now to the first potential possibility of why we have lost the Israel truth. Why did we lose the Israel truth? So let's read number one together, the first little black dot. There has been a great spiritual and moral, moral falling away from the faith of Christianity in America. But when I say America, that incorporates every nation beyond America in the Western world. And of people that once claimed belief in the Israel identity belief. Now I have some verses here that we'll come back to. Second dot, read with me. For about a century, that's a long time, Christian believers simply added on the Israel identity truth to whatever they already believed. If they were a Methodist, they thought, hallelujah, praise God, it sounds wonderful. But they continued to attend a Methodist church without any thought of how this message is going to be advocated beyond their denominational belief. If they were Roman Catholic, Lutheran, whatever denomination they were, they simply added it on 
to their already developed theological belief, they never started new churches. Moreover, worst of all, they did not teach it to their children. Are you listening, congregation? They did not pass it on to their children. And if we're teaching anything in Christian Heritage Academy, it ought to turn out young men and women that know who they are, why they are Israel, and what God expects of them. They need to know that. Or we are not a first-class Christian school. You've got, you've got to believe the Israel truth more than just in your head. It has to be a conviction of your heart that's going to alter the way you are going to live in this world. It's going to change the way. It's going to alter your lifestyle. You will do, you will do certain things and avoid certain things as an Israelite. But let's go to the third black dot. There are a number of people who, upon hearing the Israel identity message, find it very interesting. Many go on and really study and believe this truth, but treat it as a novelty and do not alter their lifestyle. That takes a moment to reflect upon. What is a novelty? A novelty is something that you find refreshing. It's interesting. It's something that sounds good. It's uplifting. It's a novelty. It's new to you. The Israel truth has been a novelty for too many thousands of people over time in this country. They looked at it as a novelty. Now I will make some statements here now that I want to be very cautious about. Dolores and I, in the course of our travels from 1960 to when we stopped in 2006, traveled more than a million and a half miles, coast to coast, Gulf to the Canadian line. We knew Israelites in every corner of this country. And we would hold Bible studies. And my, at least my older children here will testify that this is true. Because I drug my family from the time school was out. All summer long we traveled America pulling a little camper pop-up trailer. And that was our summer for a long time. We held meetings everywhere, up and down the West Coast. We would start in Washington, travel all the way down to San Diego and come inland and go into the interior of the West. And then the next summer we'd go east. We did that for years and years and years. One phenomenal thing we knew was not good. Almost inevitably, when we would hold a meeting, the people would come, they would be enthusiastic, <clears throat> they would love the message, but they did not bring their children to the meeting. They hired babysitters or left their older children alone at home. Now, I have no answer for this, people, but there has been an abject failure of adults to pass on their faith to their children. Now, you can imagine what my children felt like traveling everywhere, being drugged all over this country, and they'd never they would seldom ever see another young person. Robin, is that correct? Douglas, is that correct? 
There were some, but they were few. And a lot of meetings didn't have one. But there were a few. So let's read on. In 1950, America was 90% white. In 2022, white people are a minority in a land settled by white people. We're all familiar with that. The biblical truth of Israel identity does not fit into the multiracial 2022 culture, and I think we can attest to that. People struggle today spiritually and psychologically to stand in opposition to the multiracial tide of history and opt to live in silence. Now, what have our people been doing for, not for just a little while, but for the last 75 years, people knew the Israel truth and have lived in isolation, mostly individual families living in isolation, apart from a church, and no one building churches, no one organizing churches, failed to call these people into a flock. Now, I'm, I'm only reporting the history as I have lived it, in my lifetime. But I want to testify today, beloved, that the only reason we do not have flourishing Israel identity churches across this land is because we just failed to have young men who would devote their life to becoming a theologian and advocate the gospel of the kingdom and build a church. It just hasn't happened, and I would not have a clue as to why. Now, we want to go to the next, to the last dot. The national media and social media platforms push race mixing and look upon identity Christianity as a racist belief. That's not new to anyone here. They delight in calling such people white supremacists. And God forbid the new name that's come in the last two years. I want you to help me if you know it. It's called a domestic terrorist. Now that's shameful. Because Israel-believing people have a greater weight of the Bible resting on their conscience than any other segment of the population. But it is true, beloved, that we live in a time when wild, untamed people on the far, far right, can become unhinged. And we do not need those people in this congregation. Amen? Now, many people finally find it too difficult to face the sneers and persecution. That is why when you come together as a congregation, you are able to build a culture that people seem to take greater respect for. We've been in this county now for 81 years. And the people of Vernon County today respect this church more so today than they did 50 years ago or 60 years ago. There's more friends in Vernon County today of this church than there has been in my lifetime. Because they know that this church 
while it is a separatist congregation, has been way ahead of the curve of things happening in this country for a long, long time. And for that and other reasons, they respect us. Now, we're going to run out of time to go back and read all those beautiful verses from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, 1 through 8, 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, Amos 8, 11 through 13, because all of those verses and many others that could be added will give you the biblical explanation for where we may be right now in American history. We are in the great falling away, and I believe that may, may be a very true statement, that we are truly in a moral, spiritual freefall. And that freefall, that moral, spiritual freefall, freefall has been underway at least since 1960. So all you people that are born in the last 20 years have been born into a time of history when the great falling away was underway in big, in big time. Now, in closing, I have listed here at the bottom doctrinal and lifestyle changes that the Bible calls for in Israel identity. So let me ask you a question, beloved. How many would agree that if you're going to be an Israelite and believe the Bible, you're not going to be able to subscribe to a lot of the theology in mainstream Christianity? It's going to force you to shape a new biblical paradigm of what you believe. You cannot believe the Bible and what the Bible teaches and hold on to mainline theology. It's like trying to mix oil and water. So I've listed these very, very significant statements here of lifestyle changes that call for our theological doctrinal belief. Commitment with sacrifice. Everyone that I know that has held on to this message has been willing to make sacrificial steps to hold on to it. The value that you place in this message is what will be your investment. You will place only the value on that which costs you sacrifice. If you're, not un if you're unwilling to sacrifice, you'll not have value on what you believe. We'll force a new way of, of viewing Jesus Christ, who He is, why He came, and His purpose for coming. A biblical paradigm shift will include revival of the apostles and historic Christians, Christian doctrine. A systematic theology beginning with epistemology and ending with eschatology. It will require a covenantal theology. It will require the knowledge of the church versus the kingdom. Clarity to the Jewish question, balancing law and grace, the reformed path to soteriology, meaning salvation, close loyalty to biblical standards of morality. This will be one of the greatest single challenging uh, issues facing this congregation. We live in the collapse of biblical morality. And our ability to maintain strong Christian morality will be the single greatest test that we face. Will we hold strong lines for the sake of our children, the future of this church, for the future of your family? Draw your lines carefully.
Focus on knowing and living Christian life principles. Learning to be a separatist living in a multicultural, racially diverse nation. This week I paid a visit to our Nevada barber. I was so happy to drive on the square and see the barber pole. What a pleasant sight. And to walk in and find a barber that I knew. And I thought, well, this is, this is wonderful. We have a separatist barber. But he's in the world, he's not of the world. So if a man of the world comes in for a haircut, what is our barber going to do? He's going to give him a haircut. Jesus said, I pray for them whom thou hast given me. I pray not for the world. Words of Jesus. I pray not for the world, but for them who you have given me out of the world. So God will bless our barber and probably bless anyone that sits in his chair. Because they little do they know that they're sitting in a sort of a sacred chair. It's somewhat sanctified by the barber who cuts the hair there. Think of all the many, many directions that this church will fan out to on Monday morning. What an evangelistic outreach we have. A city that cannot be, whose light cannot be hid. Now, the last paragraph. I don't know how many of you will agree with this paragraph. But here are the goals that ought to grip a lot of us. Most of us. Even all of us. So here they are. Focus on a biblical marriage. Making our marriages better than average. Making our marriages superior. And how do we do that? Multiplication of children. We seem to be on our way there. Praise God. The family. God bless the family, the great basic building block of a church, a community, a nation. Christian education and training. Focus on local church community. Making our church community the best we can make it. Weekly, observing weekly Sabbaths annual festivals, and building a separatist subculture in the remnant. Now, folks, as we come to a close, I cannot stress sufficiently how important it is for us to build a subculture. What is a subculture? A subculture is made up of a people who find among themselves sufficient interest that they are no longer interested in what the world can offer them. They have decided to follow Jesus instead of the world. So if our young people have sufficient numbers, they will build their own culture. And that's what Christian Heritage Academy is significantly important because it's helping to build that culture. And then we have, among other things, the care of our bodies. Now folks, in, I know we're coming to the end here. As an Israelite, you have to look at your body different than the world is going to treat their body. We avoided the injection in this congregation because our bodies are the property of God. He bought them with a price, the price of His blood. We have no authority, no right to destroy God's property.
by injecting a poisonous experimental injection of poison into our body. So that means that we're all, we're all going to observe the dietary laws. The law of clean and unclean. Two big chapters delineate between the clean and the unclean. Deuteronomy 14, Leviticus 11. And we're going to have to take a new look at big gardens. A whole new look. We're going to have to decide how to produce poultry. And a rather significant scale. And people, we're going to have to solve the milk problem. We're not going to be able to depend on the Amish to milk our cows. Somehow, some way, we have to produce some milk. Beef. How much does it cost to process a beef? Almost as much as the animal is worth. Or at least a lot of money. But I know someone in this congregation that does it themselves. Cost is their labor. We're going to have to look at trade and vocational skills. When your sons are looking for a career, look for a trade or a vocational skill that will not send them to corporate Babylon. Quiet in here. Focus on working toward debt-free individual homes. See, if you're an Israelite, the fact is, every part of your life is going to be influenced. Because if you're a good Israelite, you are not going to want to pay the money changers for a large credit card debt that is accruing outrageous interest. Take that credit card and cut it up if you can't control it. Burn that sucker. Get rid of it. If you do not know how to control it. We do not want to become dependent upon Babylon any more than we need to. So what's that credit card? Last statement. The primary goal of this church community. Working to serve and love God. And to love and serve each other. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. Deuteronomy 10, 16. John 13, 13 and 14 are a good point of beginning. Now this congregation has been very patient. Let us be standing.